Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everyone on Zoom as well. Um, the title of this talk today, to give a name to it, is Being and Doing. And as you listen to it, you might find it's got a in reflection, it's got a kind of stream of consciousness style to it which is okay because that's the nature of the, in the spirit of the talk. And so I invite you to um, enter the stream with me. Um, for some reason, um, the Greek myth of um, Sisyphus keeps popping into my talks <laughs> over the last few weeks and at session, I don't know why. Um, but for those of you who may not be familiar with that story, Sisyphus, um, I don't know what his crime was, but he was condemned to hell um, for eternity. And what he had to do every moment of his day was roll this boulder up to the top of a hill and then it rolled back down again. And then he would push it up again and it would roll back down. And that was his life. And uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm sure I've read um, that, that some people see the story of Sisyphus as um, not just as a metaphor for, for living, but actually more specifically as a metaphor for breathing. Think about breathing. There's the effort of breathing in. That's like, you know, pushing the stone up to the top of the hill and then it lets go and it rolls back down again. And then you breathe in and it rolls back down again. And that's what we do all of our life. So we're all Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. We're all breathing, we're all rolling that stone up to the top of the hill and it rolls back down again. And that's what we're doing every moment of our life. Thank goodness, otherwise we'd be dead. Mm -hmm. um, is Sisyphus in hell? That's a big question. If he's just rolling the stone up the hill and letting it go back down again and he's just in the process of it he's not thinking about whether he's in hell or heaven or whatever he's just rolling the stone up and if we're just breathing same we don't think about whether we're in heaven or hell we're just breathing you know our heart is just beating now it occurred to me that um there is a, a buddhist metaphor which is kind of similar but different to this um, some of you may have read many years ago a very um, beautiful novel by Herman Hesse called Siddhartha. And Siddhartha, named after Siddhartha the Buddha, was a story about the old ferryman who used to take people over from one shore over to the other. And that, that was what he did every day. He rode over and took people from that shore back over to this shore. And he went back and forth every day. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, in a sense, it has that same sense of, of, uh, of uh, repetition that you find in the, the Sisyphus myth. But you might think, well, Sisyphus didn't choose, you know, to go into hell. He's just sort of made to go there and that's what he does, whereas the... The boatman chooses out of, he's a bodhisattva and out of an act of compassion, you know, that's his job to just ferry people over. Well, maybe. Um, as you know, 
that is a well-known Buddhist metaphor, you know, of going from shore to shore, you know, of the, the, the ferryman who takes people, all beings, you know, who are suffering from the shore of suffering over to the shore of Nirvana. Mm -hmm. And uh, is it meaningful or, or meaningless? I don't know. When you look at the, the great vows, the many beings are numberless. I vow to save them, to take them from shore to shore. So it doesn't mean how many take over. There's still some left over there. Like the job's never done. Mm -hmm. um, what about to bring it into sort of a more contemporary situation? Um, you might have one man who's um, born into more working class circumstances and his father's a bricklayer and so he earns an apprenticeship as a bricklayer because that's the only thing going and he becomes a bricklayer and that's his job to go to work every day and put another brick in the wall you know, and another brick in the wall and then when that's all finished you find another wall to build right? and you get say someone like me who's a psychologist uh, my work is to go to work every day and to listen carefully to what people are saying about their experience and their relationships and to um, respond to it. Is my life more meaningful than the brickloads? Absolutely not. Not at all. Is my life somehow more, more meaningful, better? No, not at all. If the bricklayer is just happy being one in the process of his life of laying each brick, I'm sure that's a, a very meaningful thing to do, building houses for people. Um, but it is a very flawed metaphor, that one of one shore to another, because it kind of sets up this idea there's another place to go to other than where we are. And it's kind of like on the other shore is the land of milk and honey. And, and where I am now is no, no, not okay and I need to escape it. So a beautiful metaphor, but a, but a flawed metaphor because where we are right now is the other shore. That's the point of Zen practice to see that right now, you know. It's there in the next brick you need to put into the wall. It's there in this breath that you're taking. Most people make meaning out of their life through doing. And it's about having a goal um, to buy a house, have a family, accumulate enough wealth, have a lot of interesting experiences. It's one kind of one goal after the other. And for, for mainstream people, that's, that's what the meaning of their life is. It's about the process of striving for another goal after another. But there's another way of, of being in life, which is the Zen approach to life, where it's not, it's not as though there isn't any, any um, purpose in our life in having goals. But we see there's another way of being in the world where it's just, where you're just being without a goal. You're not doing something to meet a goal, you're just being without a goal. 
And many people struggle to just drop into that. You know, it's always they're always moving towards something else that's going to lead to a result. It's difficult for people to, to let that idea go because it's so conditioned into us. But let me segue into another metaphor. I have some friends who are um, very dedicated um, ocean swimmers, you know, and I, it's quite, I find ocean swimming quite inspiring, you know, to feel, think that people start off at Palm Beach and they swim all the way down to Manly, you know, out at sea, you know, to get in that great open sea with sharks and, you know, the, the difficulty of it. And they just, it's like a session for them. They just get into the one arm after the other, one breath after the other until they're there. And um, there's something goal-orientated about that. Like, I'm going to start at Palm Beach and I'm going to end up at Manly and I'm going to put this effort to get there and it'll be a, a meaningful experience for me when I do that. However, what about floating? Ever thought of floating as a meaningful experience? You know, this sense of going somewhere all the time. Have you ever had the experience where you've just been in a, a lake or in the ocean or whatever and you just lie back and you let the water support you and you just relax? And if you completely let go and you close your eyes, there's a sense of letting go of all control. You know, and it's just you're letting the, the waves and the and the water just sort of take you wherever it takes you in the current. And and you've got enough trust in emptiness, in a sense, you know, to just float in the liquid. You're not on a solid ground. You're just floating in the liquid. And when you really give yourself over to it and let go, it supports you. It, fl- it floats you on the top. Right? And that's the challenge of Zen practice, you know, is is to float. You know, we're, we're all good at swimming, you know, and putting effort into things and meeting goals, and yes, we need to keep on doing that, but can we just stop and float and completely let go and then recognise that this empty, transient momentariness of life, we're not going to drown in it, it's going to hold us there. That's the great, great challenge. Um, there's also a similarity in, in sailing. Like most sailors like me like it when the wind is up and you can have that feeling of surging in the water through to somewhere. Where we're going, I don't know, but we're going somewhere. <laughs> uh-huh. But there's another way of sailing, which I do sometimes too. You just go right out on the ocean away from the shore, and I won't bore you with the technicalities of it, but it's called where you, where you heave to, and you have the sails balanced so that you don't go anywhere. And you just stay out there, going nowhere. You know, it's like floating, and you just look around and and absorb the experience of being out on the ocean. That's another way of being. Where this translates into formal practice is that we have um, concentration type meditation, and we have open awareness meditation. Some people call it mindfulness or we might call it shikantata. And when you do concentration meditation, which I did probably, that's all I did for about the first 
15 or 20 years of my Zen practice. There's this sense of purpose, do you know, the sense of you're driving towards something, you're going to concentrate better and you're going to be really precise and sharp and you're going to try and stay in the moment. And if you do that, then some, some wonderful experience might happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got a, a goal. When you're doing breath counting, you know, one, two, it's like, it's like putting another brick in the wall and finally you'll, you'll build a wall, but it's kind of goal-orientated in a way. Um, whereas shikantaza and open awareness, which is what I primarily do now, it's just like floating. Mm-hmm. It's a very different experience. And if you do the breath counting, there's that, that sense of that, that well-known sense of goal-seeking and achievement can give you a sense of purpose in your zazen. But when you stop it, and, and all you're doing is is turning up to be aware of the transience, the emptiness, you know, the momentariness of every moment, and that you're momentary as well and transient as well. In a sense, it's a deeper experience. And so many people are actually frightened of it, just like often people are are frightened of floating on the ocean because they think they're going to drown in it. Um, But you do it, you become familiar with it, and there's nothing to fear at all in that experience. In fact, it's quite the opposite, all of you. Your fears tend to drop away. Mm -hmm. In our Zen tradition, um, there's a very well-known story in a koan which is about the sixth founding teacher, Hui Ming. And uh, his, when he was a monk, his teacher um, uh, developed this contest, in a way, competition to see who would be his Dharma successor. And he asked people to write a poem up on the wall that expressed their insight. And the head monk writes a poem to the effect that the mind is like a mirror and you need to keep polishing it and keep it free of dust, which kind of indicates kind of a goal-orientated concentration effort like approach to it. But Hui Neng, who's actually just a peasant boy who's only been in the monastery a few months, puts another poem up underneath it and says, there is no mirror and there's no dust to clean. And lo and behold, the old teacher gives him the transmission because it's a kind of a deeper understanding of of emptiness and non-striving. Now, that story, a lot of people then read that story and think they want to identify with Hui Ning. They want to identify with this, what they think is this deeper view of life. That's the true one and the the head monk was just a, a plotter, do you know who? It didn't make good. Mm-hmm. Um, but many people look back on that whole story and, and see it as a... Um, it was all caught up with the politics of the day. It was about promoting one school over the other, the southern school over the northern school. So it's very much a, a political document. Um, <clears throat> but as Joko, my teacher, used to say and comment on this particular story, we need both. Mm-hmm. The head monk's not wrong in honing 
right, you know, or deeper. You need both. You need you need that that sense of putting effort into concentration and in your everyday life, goal seeking and being focused in that way. And you also need to let go of that, you know, and just float in in momentary experience. You need both. It's not, not a matter of one or the other. Um, in my practice now, I mostly do that open awareness shikantaza practice, but every now and then, well, more than every now and then, um, many times a month probably, I actually go back and I do breath counting, concentration, and the way I do it, it's just my own version of it for what I do for myself, but it's not just counting from one to ten and back to one again and up to ten, um, I count up to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And I keep on counting, and my, what my goal is, is to say so focused that I know exactly where I am at each point in the count, right? And in my own mind, my own mind to, to motivate myself, failure is not an option. <laughs> so I sit there with that kind of determination just to be really, really present. And I think it's useful. I'd encourage you at times to go back, even if you've been practicing for a while, to sometimes go back to doing that. Go back to swimming. Mm-hmm. Go back to, to long distance swimming and then let it go. And then just come back to Shikantaza again and float there. Mm-hmm. Float in, in, in the emptiness and transience of, of experience and trust it. Mm-hmm. It's trusting is really at the core of this. You know, we it's like we, we, we cling to our ego identity because we don't trust that if we let it go that everything will just be okay. You know, we, we think somehow we've got to keep holding on to it all the time. If you do sarsin long enough it just it just dissolves. Just, you know, it it, 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 it it disappears, the whole problem. You don't solve a problem, the problem just goes away. Mm-hmm. What is important in doing concentration meditation as well is that my concern is if people just go straight into shikantaza and they never do any concentration practice, that they, they're not actually, they think they're floating, but they're actually floating in fantasy. It's like surfing the internet, they're just floating from image to image. Um, and, and in some sense, kind of, they're, they're kind of moving in the direction of, of being sort of floating. Um, and, and probably people do get a release if they just follow their fantasy world for a while. Um, you know, rather than just goal-seeking because it's a release from the goal-seeking. I can understand in a way why people would do it, but it's not ultimately um, meaningful at all. You just get lost in all of these different fantasies and images and it just draws up the grasping and aversion more and more, so it kind of leads nowhere. It's not, not effective. But I can understand why people would do that as a release from this relentless goal-seeking behaviour. 
But what the difference is, is that shikantaza, you know, open, open awareness, it is just that floating, but you're not floating in fantasy. Same thing, only you're not floating in fantasy. You're just floating through present moment reality as it is. Mm-hmm. And to use another metaphor to, to finish off, it's like to, to jump into that emptiness, into that void. It's like jumping out of an aeroplane and you're just free falling through space and time. Right? And you keep free falling through space and time. And there's no ground at the end that you land into and die. Mm-hmm. You just keep free floating through space and time. But it takes courage and it takes letting go to actually drop in to that experience of life. But if we can do it, there's a, there's a great freedom in it. And then we go, that's what we take back into our everyday life of having goals, you know, and having to meet deadlines and things like that. But we have this deeper experience, which is at the, the core of our being. And it makes, makes a world of difference to the way we live our life.